Escape from Plan A. Okay, welcome to uh, Escape from Plan A. Uh, this is the host of Plan A team, but uh, we might, I don't, this might be a crossover episode, so I guess maybe I should also let T intro. <laughs> As well, uh, or yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah why not? This is T from Champagne Sharks. How's it going, uh, Trevor Bullyu? And yeah, we should probably call me uh, Trevor uh, throughout the show, so it doesn't cause a confusion with Teen. But yeah, oh yeah, uh, no, we've had that it's issue been a common before. problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, yeah it's been uh, this topic. I thought was a pretty interesting one, and uh, I think it's especially relevant to an article that we that came out this week but i'm sure we can come up with other examples but um it was chris's idea for this topic right i think it was teens but hey i'll take credit (laughs) yeah i mean i and i can i can just give a the way i teed it up and i and i'm sure that um we'll get a little bit more specific about it but you know like it's not it's no secret like when we did our podcast escape from plan a like it was really influenced by um champagne sharks because we uh chris and i both had listened to it a lot and one thing we noticed was i mean because i think champagne sharks you you all took a slightly different approach to talking about um race in particular that had a certain like kind of class element to it or i don't know about class element but like understanding that there were factions um within like what you would call black america and sort of like a, it was almost like a taxonomy of the different factions and the blue checks and stuff. And and one thing that um, Chris and I had had really uh, marveled at was how a lot of the patterns that were being described uh, on your pod really mirrored this almost like one to one what was going on with Asian people in America. Right. And this whole like disdain towards the blue checks and and. Um, the competing narratives, I think, about, you know, this whole like uh, sort of elite media class always sort of uh, kicking out really similar sorts of stories and narratives and a desire to assimilate and but also a certain performative victimhood or something like that. And it just it just seemed one that there was a lot of similarity. And then the other thing which prompted me to say maybe uh, I'd love to talk to you and Chris about this because you two seem to be really um, observant about this. I think actually what's happened is that over time, a lot of the stuff that was usually associated with Asian Americans, like model minority and 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 um, wanting to be like media representation, wanting to be seen and dealing with assimilation into white with white people, uh, it seemed to have flipped where I feel like a lot of the discussions I he- I see on Black Twitter and, and things like that sound a lot like the Asian model minority discourse that we used to have and we thought was totally unique to us. And at the same time, now Asian Americans are starting to talk a lot in a way that reminds me of like earlier black movements about, you know, Asian commu- uh, community self-defense and uh, the Asian relationships with police and with government and things like that, because, you know, obviously we're in the kind of COVID period. So that was the even sort of like a, even like a back to Asia movement that's kind of stirring about. Yes. Yeah. That's very interesting. Pan-Asianism. That's another big topic right now. Pan-Asianism oh, wow. and, and all that. And it's it's really in a thing where 
that what I've seen online, especially with the rise in sort of like anti-Asian violence and stuff, that has like really overtaken the point where it's crap. I don't I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe my feed or my view on social media is kind of one sided. But I, I feel like that has really changed the 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 conversation where the Asian Americans at large are really rejecting a lot of the the assimilationist stuff. Like, for example, like the backlash against Andrew Yang when he did an op-ed about how to, like, avoid being attacked by, you know, wearing UCLA gear or joining the army. There was an immediate backlash by Asian Americans in the mainstream. So I think this is really happening. And at the same time, a lot of um, the stuff I see about Netflix shows and woke culture and stuff, it felt it, it feels very like what Asians are had moved away from. So I'm wondering if there's some sort of like inversion here of who is the model minority and who, you know, like who occupies that space. Um, is there some sort of uh, something, something going on? I mean, it's pretty interesting to me that a lot of, this is kind of weird convergence that's going on, even within the blue check uh, sphere where the Asian blue checks and the black blue checks seem to be taking a lot of cues from from each other and what i mean by that is like just a lot of that kind of full woke language i've i've seen them like kind of sharing and i was telling someone the other day that i feel like blue checks are more like each other than they are like any other um group like I with their own like group Right. Yeah, they're their own group, a blue check black person, a blue check Asian person, a blue check Latino, a blue check white person have more in common with each other than that white person has with other white people, that Asian person has with other Asian people. Like, like I think in addition to what you're saying about Asian uh, American um, discourse and black American discourse kind of swapping, I think... On t- you know, among like, you know, the regular people on the ground, I think on top of that, there's this kind of weird um, um, hive mind class forming where the blue checks around there's just their own this weird thing altogether. And I feel like there's something else that I've started calling wanna checks, like people who technically aren't blue checks, but they write like they're auditioning to be one. Like they tweet, like they go to the mattresses for the same stupid things and tweet in the same sassy way but the person is not and, and and they cape for blue checks if a blue check is being attacked they'll jump in and say the same things and you're like is this person a reporter then you look and the person is just someone who works in an office or something you know it's like i feel like people are hoping to become a blue check one day if they tweet hard enough and yeah it's a it's a mindset it's yeah, a, it's, it's a lifestyle a, it's very much a mindset for for sure for sure i want to ask you that one of you guys ever like write to my curious cat or something for the short time i had a curious cat and mentioned frank chin because i remember one time oh one time when i first okay when i first started uh the pod someone said hey have you ever read frank chin i thought you would i think you would like him and when i read frank chin i had a similar uh experience to what teen talked about where i was like oh wow i can't believe uh this sounds exactly like like when frank chin was talking about you know it was that essay, um, come all ye. Oh no! Oh no! Not not that one. Come all ye Asian American writers. I think it's called. Yeah, the one, of the real yeah. and fake, right? 
yeah the real and fake and that one i was like holy crap and that one's been like very influential on me um but yeah i was like oh my god everything he's talking about you know about um uh women of color being elevated over men of color writers and being rewarded for spreading these patriarchal narratives about you know the men of color and kind of making um white men seem like you know these kind of enlightened saviors and i was like wow this is exactly the same thing but from like decades ago right so so uh, yeah okay uh about i think you mentioned that before so when you say that do you because frank chin probably wrote that in like the 60s or 70s right yeah totally and you're reading it in the 20 late 2010s, 2018 2018 yeah. right yeah so were you of were you did you you're saying that you also felt that there was this sort of like swap in the sense that this was something fairly new uh among like uh, the way like what was going on with black people online or was this something you're saying oh this was a long-standing pattern i just didn't know that this applied to asian people or or, or an asian person would have been uh, cognizant um, of this a little bit of both like i think it was a long-standing pattern like i think color purple with steven spielberg and you know alice walker and even alice walker thought that the movie went too far uh you know kind of had this thing where all the black guys are brutes and you know uh all this stuff but so i didn't think it was new but it it was newer than the asian version for sure like like the color purple was like kind of like a test run and i felt like now it's kind of hit an established pattern where it almost runs on its own they don't really have to do much except just not get in the way of it it's kind of automatic now kind of and and uh whereas before i think it was a very conscious new thing around the time of color purple so i felt like it being a well-oiled machine was new but the concept of the test drives of it was old but when i read the frank chin essay i was like okay for on the asian side the well-oiled machine is old like let like like it was a well-oiled machine in the 60s like he had multiple examples he had like all the stuff that uh i kind of see is all the features of this kind of um white male savior and people talk about white savior but i feel like there's a white male savior subgenre of the white savior and i was like wow all the tropes everything that you know i thought i was putting together now like he has them all and then some yeah if there is any inversion happening i think it's because for asian americans it's been so established this is the default i think ever since probably 1965 this has been the default asian american culture to the point where everyone's just like fucking sick of it and everyone knows upon it on site but i think for a lot of black americans this seems very new and it probably was what asian americans felt like maybe in like the 70s this is something radical this is something like and i i think this is perfectly exemplified in the whole Meghan markle thing which I, which is just the absolute perfect manifestation of that like white savior ideal like it's it's a woman of color crashes this old white institution and through her like superior beauty and charm and intelligence and wit and all that upstages everybody especially the white women uh gets makes out with the or makes off with the the white prince and 
that is how justice is uh, formed. And and I think that is it's it's such a you could not be more like hit all the perfect notes. And I think that's why it's it strikes a chord with a, with a lot of people because you can't really get any purer than that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know. One thing that's kind of interesting, I was talking uh, with you guys before it started, but all these weird things being done about passing, 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 and uh, there's the green lighting, anything that has to do with um, uh, passing. They have passing storylines in Lovecraft Country and other things, but passing being about um, Black people being able to pass as white. And what I find interesting, I mean, there's a novel that uh, by this new um, blue check of the moment, they've been grooming her for a while, uh, Britt Bennett, and she's got like a seven figure. Oh, yeah. The from- um, what's that book called? The Vanishing Half or something? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that got a seven uh, figure deal from Netflix. Uh, Jeremy O'Harris from Slave Play is going to be writing the series on H- it's not, no, HBO because uh, he got an all around deal with HBO, too. So he's gonna write that, and I think Issa Rae's producing. It's just so incestuous and weird. All it's these the All Star team, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's the All Star Blue Check team. And um, what, what was interesting, I was like, why are so many people writing about it? And they're all unambiguously black people. Like they're like a hundred percent dark skin. Like, why is this such an interesting topic and anxiety for them? And I kind of realized, like, it's the purest. Man- physical manifestation the physical actualization of their psychological struggle which is that i think uh these people want to culturally pass like they want to culturally assimilate like it's the purest physical representation of i think a struggle that they have um they know they can't physically pass but there's this kind of idea that uh psychologically uh culturally if I can um, culturally master so-called whiteness enough, I can culturally be in the indistinguishable from you to the you know to the point that I can hang out with you guys or intermarry with you guys or live with you guys without having to have the differences always thrown in my face or that I can talk to you and be with you for a while and people can actually forget I'm black, uh, you know. And I was like uh, the same way. The physically passing person, you know, people can um, either not know or forget, you know, that the person is the person is black. So I think that's kind of the sick um, manifestation. It's like a, it's like a, I mean, the obsession. I think it's like a literal um, manifestation of this. And I think also the idea of if the literally white looking person uh, who's black can't pass then what does that mean for me who's just trying to culturally pass i don't even have the physical then i so i think that's the because these people have no intellectual curiosity about anything so anything they're interested in it has to have some kind of narcissistic um navel gazing angle to me of something that they're trying to work out because that's the only way they engage with anything either as a creator or a consumer yeah either that or i think they think it's demographic destiny for their community maybe not for themselves maybe they actually you know have black partners but they think that eventually either their kids or their grandkids are going to 
like intermarry with white people or any any other like light-skinned people, I guess, but primarily white people. So it is an anxiety they have because they can see it coming. They think it's inevitable. Uh, whether they aspire to it or not, you know, I think it depends on the individual. But I think um, this is why... Uh, it, and actually... Mm-hmm. Go on. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, uh, this is why whenever you're like in an Asian-American online space, the topic of hapas is always extremely loaded uh, because it is essentially like a referendum on intermarrying with white people. The question of are hapas going to be fully accepted into the Asian-American community is, if not a direct, then at the very least an indirect uh, casting of judgment on whether, you know, being with white, like we call it interracial, but it's almost always white. Like how does that affect your Asian-ness? So I, I think this is a lot of people thinking about their own future and how they're going to deal with it. And I think that fuels a lot of that obsession. As you said, like some of these people are like unmistakably black. This is not a problem that they themselves will really have to deal with. But I think they're thinking my kids, my future generation or our community in general will eventually have to deal with this more. I think maybe both of us might be right. The more I think about it, I think it's something they psychologically um, relate to. Because um, they're psychologically always trying to pass, like you know, and and my and by pass, I mean like, is what I'm saying or my taste or all my things uh, betraying that my taste, my um, culturation, my refinement are up to par with the white person? You know, like, am I passing when I'm eating at this dinner table, and or do I look like you know? I don't know which fork goes with what. Am I passing when it's um, time to talk intellectually? Am I passing? You know, like, I think that. But also, I think for their kids, it's, they think it's going to be literal. I, and and that's demographic destiny. I think they might think it's demographic destiny because a lot of them literally have white partners, you know, as as well. So it's, yeah, I think uh, it's a perfect time to talk about the recent HuffPo piece. Oh, the yeah, one, you're uh, right. I mean, without even meaning to, I think it was a perfect dovetail. Yeah, uh, so this piece is written by a black woman who has a white husband, and she's talking about how I think her kid is mostly white passing, right? I've seen pictures. She puts yeah, pictures the kid of it looks in her pretty article. White. It's also a weird article in that kids change a lot, you know, within that time. Like she seems paranoid about it way too early. Like that kid can change skin tones like in a couple of years, you know? So, well, I. She's so anxious about it already. I found that weird. Yeah, and what was immediately just recognizable was how th- this has been written by an Asian American at least like twenty times before. I probably have it in in my spreadsheet where I keep track of all this. But all the all the familiar, uh, you know, it was greatest hits. You have the, um, you know, I, I didn't really fit in with my own group. Um, like you got the the kind of skirting of the question well if you were so invested in having like a black or asian baby why not have a black or asian partner and that's just kind of you know well you know i I fell in love with this this white person and that smooth over uh this fixation this uh this insecurity about your very distinctive ethnic feature for the writer here it's her hair for the asian person it would probably be the eyes and it, it was just so 
it, it was just like you, you just did you know control f and just switch black and asian and a few little details like hair and eyes it would have been an asian american article that you would see on you know asian voices HuffPo, uh you know last year or a couple of years ago so this is like a, a certain genre yeah, I mean, of- is the in- it- well, okay, that's my question. Is is it is it just a matter of this is a genre and they're picking up the genre and learning the tropes? Or is this like a real thing? Because I think the part of it um, that makes me think that it might be just a real thing. And I, I feel like tr- uh, Trevor's kind of hinting at that, 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 that this is actually their real thoughts, right? Uh, is there's a really good... Um, Ali Wong joke in her one of her stand-up specials, I think the first one, where she's like she's married to another Asian American, um, and they're all like mixed up. Like she's half Vietnamese, half Chinese. I think her husband's like Filipino and Japanese. Japanese, yeah. And um, yeah, and so at their at their house, they have like a like a Chinese calligraphy piece hanging on the wall. And she jokes like her and her husband are like, you know, we're like just like white people pretending we're Asian, Uh, meaning that there's no underlying, quote, authenticity, which is like that's another buzzword. Right, Chris, like you see all the time, like is this cultural authenticity? And I've noticed that in the uh, at least in black Twitter, the the small segment of it that I do see usually through like your retweets and stuff like that or someone um, that I follow. Um, that authenticity comes up a lot too, as to whether someone actually, you know, grew up um, in a black community or did they grow up mostly with white people? And uh, I wonder, you know, because a lot of times the, that that kind of uh, uh, article um, or this obsession with whether they pass or whether they fit in, uh, whether they're whether they can assimilate, I almost wonder: is it actually just the desire to be white? Is that what it is, or is it the sort of like inner uh, anxiety to real? There's no real authentic Asian in here. Like everyone thinks I'm actually Asian, but if you look inside of me, there's like no. I didn't grow up around Asian people. I don't know anything about Asian people, but you all expect. You know what? Does that make sense? Um, oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. know what you mean. Um, you know something interesting is I think very very few people actually want to be white. Um, and not out of any type of racial pride, so to speak, but um, there's this guy, he's a um, psychology, he's a psychologist. I was going to say psychology guy, like that, that, that's a psychologist. I don't know why I was going to say that. <laughs> but yeah, this psychologist <laughs> who's, who, uh, his name is William Swan Jr. And he has a really interesting uh, book. It's called like The Self Trap. I think he re-released it under a different name as well. I think that might be the original name. I don't know why I gave the book a, a second title. But uh, it's a very interesting book in that he talks about why change is so hard. And one of the things he says is that people don't really, they think they want to change, but people are very resistant to changing their identity. Like their identity is very, very much um, a part of them, even if they think they hate themselves. It's very tough to really, and there's the story in it of a guy who wanted a deeper voice because he um, hated his voice. So he goes to this voice coach. Guy says, I can train you to have a deeper voice. It's not hard. And he does all these lessons. He gets pretty good at it. And then the vocal coach sees him in the street a couple of months later. And he's talking in his um old voice. And the guy's like, why are you talking in your old in your old voice? Like, what happened? And he's like, 
uh, yeah, but you know, th- that wasn't me. So, you know, despite all this stuff, when he got the out to have a different voice, and the and the whole book is just about how psychologically uh, we just have, even if it's um, even if it's, if it's attachment to the self hate, we just get very attached to or comfortable with the idea of who we are, and it's very jarring. And I think that's kind of what's happening with a lot of these people. That's why there's this kind of over the top. I mean, in addition to the fact that they literally can't change their race. So there's that. But I think there's also this over the top um, pro-blackness or pro-Asian-ness that a lot of these people do. And I don't think it's totally fake. Like, I don't think they want to give up being their race, even if they could most of them i think you have to be particularly um extremely self-hating to really hit that that level i think they want to be what they are but just accepted um by other people i think it actually scares i think actually being white would scare them in a in well, a strange way well if they became white they would kind of have nothing to do because their entire output is always you know, spinning the same wheels, you know, am I Asian? Am I American? What am I? I think yeah, what they want... There's a, comfort, there's a comfort in that. That becomes your identity. Yeah, I think what they want is for people to continue to be fascinated by that. They, they feel entitled for that to be the the question that uh, is that leads the community's narrative, which is why they always get so huffy and puffy about gatekeeping uh, when people say, yeah. oh, that's not very Black or that's not very Asian. Um, you know that really riles them up because they want their their I think definition of, of like kind of like the I what everyone should aspire to be is them they're in their own confused state. That's what everyone should be pondering. That should be their community's great philosophical I, I, questions. I'm I'm wondering though if that's a def- like sort of a cover up, you know, to because like with the Asian folks who do this, like they're usually it's like I said like Ali Wong. They're people who are. Uh, and, and she's funny because she's just coming out and saying what it is. But I think a lot of times it's a cover up to to where they pretend like they, uh, you know, understand the Asian cultures from which they're at least one generation removed. They don't really have any connection to it. They can't speak the language or if they do very stilted, they don't understand the culture and, and never really had an interest in the first place. But they realize that a lot of white attention is paid to them, let's say, in in publishing or media or whatever and they're expected to or they're perceived to have in it quote inner authentic asianness uh that they're encouraged to uh reveal and i feel like they're self-conscious about the fact that it's really not there's not much to it if that makes sense like there's they're not really as as i think also and i think this is what chris was kind of getting at is it becomes their identity i mean just in general i mean there's people who grew up in bad dysfunctional families who keep saying they want something better, but they keep picking partners who, you know, recreate that same kind of dysfunction. And when you ask them why, it's because it's comfortable to them. Like it's what they know, even if it's um, makes them miserable, it's a misery that they're comfortable with. And I think that's kind of ties in here as in when Chris said they wouldn't know who to be otherwise, like without this uh, story, you know, cause it's become a substitute for personality for them. Like, you know, it's the closest thing that to them makes them interesting. And 
um, without it, like, what would they be? They, I mean, in a way, it's their entry into being interesting to white people. Like, they can't be a more interesting white person than a white person. Uh, they have no training in it. They have no whatever. They'll just be an extra weird white person. But being a, a assimilated um, non-white person, I think, makes them more interesting. Then you could talk about code switching and being trapped between two worlds and being not blank enough for the blank kids, but not white enough for the white kids. It's a story that, you know, they probably know how to get sex from it. They probably know how to get attention from it. They probably know how to sell stories off, off of it. They it's, it's their story. It's, it's hard to change your story that people fall in love with their own story. Yeah. And that confusion itself becomes the new authentic identity. And it's not a given that that confusion should matter at all. Um, I mean, going back to the Meghan Markle thing, and I'm not just doing this because I, I tried to watch the whole thing. I couldn't take it. I, I watched half of it, but I already there's a sunk cost to it. So I do want to talk about it a bit, but it's, I think it reflects this upper class. You're talking class. about the Oprah Winfrey? Yeah. Oh God, it was God awful. Okay. I just, for 10 minutes, they go back and forth talking about, did Kate make you cry or did you make Kate cry? And and just considering all that's happening in like the UK right now, uh, you know, with, with COVID and other things, it's just like really, this is why are you talking about this? But but the the whole reason why I find this to be very interesting is like this preoccupation with how will my white in laws who are probably like some class above me, even if like I make more money by virtue of them being white, they will have something over me. How do I fit in here? What will my you know half-white baby be like this is to them just a given concern like well duh this this defines our community's identity and conundrum and everything but if you were say a black person you, you have no interest in like you know a white partner if you're asian you have no interest in a white partner why would you care about that it just it's not really a question that will come to your mind but these people want this to be at the center of their like community narrative because for them it's at the center so that, uh, that's why I yeah. find this very interesting and why it, like the type of minorities who are so invested in this um, in a way that they would not be invested with like say Kate Middleton. About, I think what you said about it being the new authenticity is um, interesting as well. They, they want it to be the new representative struggle of the race. Is that? Yeah. Cause there's this idea and I agree with that. If you are, like Asian American or like Black American, you are you are like a, a different culture than just American or Asian in Asia or African in Africa. It is something different. So, especially with Asian Americans, because we're such a new community, most of us don't have deep roots here. It's still being defined, and uh, I think what really fuels so much of the fight is that it, it's a fight to define it. Like, is is our community basically going to be defined by? our preoccupation with how we're going to fit in with like our white in-laws. Cause that's a thing that is not evenly shared, especially across gender lines, especially across class lines. It doesn't affect everyone equally. So why is it that this keeps being brought up as our main like thing that we have to always pay attention to? Here's something interesting that, uh, you might find, I mean, I mean, you've just found this out. You might already know this, but, I just found out recently there's an official term for that. It's called uh, third culture kid. Oh and yeah, there's I've a heard whole that before, body yeah. of yeah. There's a whole body of 
literature and academic stuff, you know, about it. And for people at home who don't know what it is, third culture kids or third culture individuals are people who were raised in a culture other than their parents or the culture of their country of nationality and also live in a different environment during a significant part of their child development years. Um, it might not be a perfect example, because I think you have to grow up maybe overseas as well. But I, I do feel like uh, being the child of immigrants kind of um, has that aspect to it. But it's interesting that these people aren't, a lot of times, aren't the children of immigrants. A lot of times they're um, on the black side, like black Americans, people who've been here for hundreds of years and it's kind of weird to see them having these third culture issues um going on it's very bizarre where they're actually american with generations in america and acting like they're a stranger to two lands it's it's, it's just very very um surreal because i think at that point it's almost has to be a choice you know what i mean like you just don't want to be part of your parents' culture that bad. Yeah, and that really shakes up a lot of Asian Americans thinking because a lot of us, we think our problem is we don't a we don't have a deeply rooted culture, and b even if you can trace yourself back to you know like the Chinatown railroad workers, it's not it's not a desirable cool culture, and you can definitely say that Black Americans have very deep roots, Black culture especially nowadays, you know, it's like every corporation is trying to like profit off of black culture. It's so, it's so popular yet to see the same thing happen. It's, it's both, it's like, it's both kind of encouraging in that, okay, we're not alone, but it's also discouraging to be like, man, what is, how can you resist this? If, if even, if even like black Americans are, yeah. are behaving like us, uh, which makes me but like I feel think like it, Asians are moving away from it though. Yeah. It, it, uh, it no? could be kind you of like an equilibrium like, thing. I, I like, feel like the backlash against this is, Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said, Teen. You said you think what? I think that there's been a, a lot of backlash lately against, um, especially in the Trump era, uh, that a lot of Asian people uh, sort of like, I mean, I think it was, okay, so I think it was kind of taboo for people to say stuff like Juilla Club was was garbage because all it, it, it was just, you know, all the men were, were written out. Um, it, it centered around just women, only women's stories. And of course, uh, all the romantic partners were white, if I recall. And so it was taboo, I think, for because <laughs> this was such a big seminal thing, like, oh my God, we're on the big screen, right? And so everyone universally was pressured to love this thing. And they, I mean, they taught the book in school, for God's sake. And uh, so that was our sort of like one big marquee uh, entrant into mainstream American culture at that time was uh, Joy Luck Club. And it carried the the sort of pattern that um, people over time more and more were just starting to question, like how come, you know, it's always this, uh, the Asian woman of is in, in dealing with assimilation into whiteness and then the white partner thing is the other, it's the East meets West story. And then the guys basically, uh, not irrelevant. there at all. Yeah. yeah, irrelevant. And it was, I mean, Frank Chin had started pushing back, but I think in the way back, but he was considered a complete, you know, kook, a complete, you know, marginal figure. Uh, but over time, I feel like the, 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 um, 
what was a taboo thing, which was just to think that there was something wrong with this, uh, started to become socialized, especially on social media. And now I'm starting to see that uh, there's even, I think, a real awareness uh, in the mainstream, like even in Asian American Hollywood, this uh, this desire to make the Asian guy to sexualize the Asian guy and to make sure that they, he gets Chad roles and you know we want to break Asian <laughs> stereotypes and you, there, there are Asian Chads in in a lot of in a lot of stories now right and yeah um, is it interesting yeah it is I've yeah it is and it's it's totally conscious is my point like I think like there is a there is a to a degree uh, a, a, an awareness now that. Um, this has gone too far with Asian people and Asian people are now kind of expecting a different thing to happen. And so they chatify the Asian guy or whatever, but with, uh, on the black, on the black side of things, I feel like the, the number one is I, I've never noticed uh, such an obsession with media representation as, uh, until recently. And then a lot of, like you said, a lot of obsession about assimilation and passability and, specifically um the ways that uh black people can fit into white society but specifically like black women and their compatibility with white men and i'm just like that is the eight that's what asians are supposed to be doing like how did <laughs> oh, this yeah. how did this happen that that's my point is like there, there does seem to be a change right chris uh or yeah i i think it i think it points to there there are like two ways I'm sure there are like shades in between, but I will say like two polar extremes, a minority can can exist. You can either be have be of like the of the feminized uh, assimilation mindset, and I only say feminized not as like a value judgment, but just kind of like to what stereotypical gender roles does this favor? And I think there's like feminized assimilation versus like say masculine, like let's say rebellion, and it favors different things because if you are of like the assimilation mode, everything's all about the preoccupation with fitting in. It's, it's like sad, reflective, and it just doesn't really work well for guys. And conversely, if, if you are of like the, the masculine, like rebellion side, it doesn't really work well for women. And I think with Asian Americans, that's why like Asian guys always want to shake things up. Cause you know, at best, well, even the Asian Chad is still kind of cringe in a lot of ways because he's going to go up on stage, take his shirt off, be like, love me, love me. Like nobody respects guys who really do that. Uh, I mean, in our status quo society, and that's supposed to be the solution. And uh, on the flip side, I think a lot of black women have problems with just like black, with black culture, the way it's been, because it has been portrayed as very aggressive and all that, which can kind of work well for the guys in some ways because people do admi- like people admire like women fighters, but not in the way that you would admire like male fighters. And I'm not talking about like like literal fighters, but just just the way of just aggressively you know burning shit down or whatever. Uh, so I think I think that's why you're seeing the switch. You, you're seeing like a like a counterbalancing because it it may have gone too far in one end, and the other side are feeling left out, and they're like, okay, let let's. Uh, Let's try going a different way. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, yeah, no, it does. It does make sense. It's it's on the black side. I'll say this: this is this is what I think, right? And what you said about nobody respects that uh, when you know, like these Asian chats kind of try to overcompensate. You know, I, I feel like we have our own examples of that. We're trying so hard to make 
to put the blurred in there and like look um black people can be smart too and you know the person will be like uh have glasses on and be like a total nerd girl and she'll be like have a big textbook in tow and i'm like eh, that's too much but uh um i think there was an idea and i could be wrong but i think there's a tendency to kind of ennoble ennoble like the past generations of black entertainment and say oh they weren't trying for white acceptance but i think maybe and this might be an uncomfortable thing to ponder but it's possible maybe uh we just didn't think we had any chance of getting it so it was kind of easy to be like you know oh you know it's kind of like when a guy uh is talking about a hot girl is out of his league and you know he can say, oh, she's ugly anyway. But he might just be saying that because he don't think he has a chance anyway. But then... You know, sour grapes, yeah. Yeah, but then when the guy... when If the guy finds out he does have a chance, he might suddenly turn to maybe a total simp. And you're like, wait, what happened to all that other stuff? You know, it's like, oh, that's when I thought I didn't have a chance. Uh, there's a part of me that really believes that we really didn't want the representation. I really remember those things i remember when anything black had too much mainstream acceptance like say in rap or something it started becoming a sign it was corny or there was a type of maybe part of us being gen x and gen x was about rebelling and not being mainstream in general that was like the, the peak value of of gen xness but for whatever reason i feel like there was a sincere desire to not um assimilate to not whatever and I feel like these people now have the opportunity. There's an actual hunger for tokens. There's a hunger for black entertainment that white people can enjoy or, you know, whatever. And part of me wonders if that market, if that money, if that uh, carrot was dangling on a stick in front of my generation, um, how many of us would have stuck to our principles and how many would have uh, rationalized it, rationalized it um, away? I mean, there was always stuff that was ostensibly black, but um, really made for white audiences. And a lot of times it would get kind of rejected by the people as being, oh, this is corny or this is like some Uncle Tom stuff. But now they've mastered a way of giving it a veneer of pro-blackness or wokeness you know what i mean that um wasn't there before i mean i don't really have a conclusion here i'm just kind of thinking out loud i'm just i'm just i'm just wondering uh how much of it is a sticking to principles versus i mean i think now we stick to the principles because we grew up with them but say we were at these less people are young in their 20s or whatever you know and this is more money than they ever thought and they already went to like ivy league schools and are already kind of comfortable with these people in these rooms you know they've gone to harvard and yale and the places that these writers rooms populate themselves with so you know i guess i'm trying to show them a little bit of grace i don't know yeah i think that's a definite thing to ponder maybe the shift happened because because people saw that there could be like a hip-hop billionaire and whereas before it, it was def like everything was you had to, you know, be against the system and everything because you, there was, like, the idea of that was so ludicrous. But 
but now you know you, you can and also you can if you got there you had to be so clearly compromised like like to get to that level you had to be hammer with the genie pants and the <laughs> s girls and a lot of people didn't want to do that but if if you could be a billionaire um looking and talking like jay-z or dre it's like okay i, I really look and talk like that now it's not even that big a you know, I can at least have the plausibility of not selling out. Yeah, but I mean, there's still something uh, qualitatively different about the Netflix type or Hulu type content that we're seeing now that I don't think would have been possible no matter how much money was being paid back then. Mm. There's a there's a cultural component to this that's going on. And I'm seeing, I guess I'm just seeing that there's... Whether it's uh, it's probably a confluence, I think, of the shifting culture, but also a feedback loop of media reflecting that culture back to people. But there's definitely a loop here where I feel like the at least what I read from like black opinion writers and media commentators and stuff like that is a real embrace of this stuff. Whereas yeah. I feel like Asian people either we we're not even talking about it. Or we're running away from it because I feel like, at least for me, when I see this stuff, there's a sort of like uncanny valley where I'm like, these are, these are, this is shit Asian people used to talk, talk about. Yeah, I think like the period of Asian fascination, I think like the period of Asian fascination is kind of gone. I think there was, and you can see it in these old movies, uh, if you look at the, like, I was watching a lot of these movies because uh, Turner Classic Movies is having a marathon. There's like Sayonara with Marlon Brando, um, The Wonders World of Susie Wong, and all these other types of things that had like a lot of different Asian people in them. A lot of them had the War Bride narrative, but there was also Bridge on River Kwai. There was um, there was this musical. I think it was a musical. It was all Asian. South actually- Pacific? No, no, it wasn't that one. This one was something as way less. Known oh, flower that- drum song. Yeah, yeah. There was there was that one. I mean, there seemed to be this kind of um, thing going on where there was a lot of uh, Asian fascination out there that I think is not really there now. Like, like for example, look at Crazy Rich Asians. You would think that would cause some kind of explosion. It really didn't. It's 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 interesting. For whatever reason, now. I think there is that go like for example, I'm old enough to remember when Joy Luck Club um came out and it wasn't something that only Asian Americans were interested in. Like everybody watched Joy Luck Club. It was just considered like you're getting a piece of something if you watch this. And it was covered everywhere. A lot of people I knew who were not Asian all went to see it. I was too young, so it wasn't the kind of movie I wanted to see, but you know, like people's parents, my parents, like it was just kind of cool. And I think within this Black Lives Matter era, like there's this kind of thing where this is what liberals are, white liberals are doing. It's cool to consume uh, black culture. And I think you guys have mentioned in the past something that I think explains a lot of it when we were talking about how um, an Asian woman isn't a good racism shield anymore, like they used to be uh, for a white guy because. Um, I guess maybe the model minority thing has picked up too much or maybe it's become too well known that you can um, 
date an Asian person and still be racist or whatever. I feel like maybe something similar has happened to Asian media where it's like white people feel like, okay, this is China's a powerhouse. Maybe Japan had this moment, you know, booming. Like they're not really authorized enough anymore. You mean like they will not get any like social points for saying they like consume this thing or that? That's Asian. Yeah. Yeah, I think they over I think they overdid it. I think it's two things. One, they overdid it and it became a cliche. And yeah, they're 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 now with you know and 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 uh, Chris we talked about this like like a Brett Easton Ellis could uh, no no sorry a um, Aaron Sorkin could spot this in social network like uh, yeah, like the 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 white Jewish guy with the Asian girlfriend on campus that, that's not woke that's just the thing that happens uh, and yeah, I think too so many far, people yeah I think too yeah. many people just have like personal experience with it that it, there's like no fooling anyone anymore uh no matter yeah, and what then there's the yellow fetish thing the asian fetish thing was kind of always there and it got there's just too much too much of it and it became a thing you know and then you had uh yeah. asian girls with started, white boyfriends uh-huh i've been sort of realizing too too often too that uh it's more mark zuckerberg than marlon brando you know like yeah like, like before you could pretend it was like uh the white guy was marlon brando or william holden and now it's more like Mark Zuckerberg, and that's not you know as sexy, you know. Uh, yeah, and then no, they would run into no each white other, guy right? wants to be like, Mark Zuckerberg. That's up for the yeah. Money. And then and then there was there there were these uh, Chris, you remember that one about uh, okay, I'm a Asian girl, I have a white uh, husband, and God damn it, I keep running into other Asian girls with white husbands. Oh <laughs> yeah, the uh, also and, Huffington Post, they you know they crank him out like yeah. The like, two articles uh, ran into each other, and then I would say ever since we pointed that out to you. Trevor, mm-hmm. it's gone so far as to become it's gone from cliche to actual liability now because uh there was an there was an article in the New York Times uh or it, a series of uh coverage about how Elaine Chow, who's the wife of Mitch McConnell, has uh a conflict of interest because she has too many ties to China. <laughs> so mm. I think now that Asians I think there was a period there's a point of just over I think we outlived our usefulness in that in that regards and people lost interest and then this here's another inversion I feel mm-hmm. like America largely at least I mean correct me if I'm wrong but at least on the surface it seems um that there's there's a real turn away from trying to vilify black people and there's a more of a sort of like sort of like a I don't know. I don't want to say. I'm not sure. Reconciliation is the right term, but some some sort of some some sort of uh, the appearance, at least the appearance, the appearance of, of reconciliation. thing. You know, like Black Lives Matter yeah. is like hanging yeah. off every corporate banner out there. Whereas Asians are openly being vilified now. Right? Well, well, one Where thing. I, yeah. Sorry. Go on. I thought you were done. Go no, ahead. but I'm just saying that that has been a major change. Uh, well, well, I think this is part of it, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Asians are just too successful now. And you kind of see it in how they're actively working against their admission in schools now. And Chris tweeted something that was interesting about they're not even pretending it's about the rich ones anymore. They're even saying stuff about the ones who aren't rich, you know, about just saying, hey, we don't want you guys in here. And that I think they, they're too scared, I think, to mascot Asian-American people because now they're looking at them as a real threat to white hegemony in a way, you know? Um, right. 
Yeah, and I think and so. that's like the the China stuff, how scared they are of China. There was a hint of it in the eighties with Japan. He started seeing entertainment like the movie Gung Ho and all this stuff about. But then the Japan thing kind of went away. The Japan boom went away, but the Japan was tied to capitalism. So in a way that their boom was and bus were still kind of tied to America's, but China yeah, just they were seems, subsumed. Yeah. It's like a sibling rivalry. Yeah. yeah. Whereas China just seems like this kind of thing that um, doesn't play by the same rules and maybe can overtake America and the China stuff. I've never seen anything um, like it over here. Um, if you're someone who's into like race science, then you're hung up on the IQ thing. If you're someone who's like a, just a white liberal who wants their kid to go to Harvard and Yale, then you're upset with Asian people because of that, because they're uh, like, I feel like there's a lot of united front about about that. And it's a double-edged sword. Like, I think it allows you, you're allowed, I think, they don't want to do it. Like, at the time of... Um, the Susie Wong stuff and all that stuff. I think Asia Asians were still seen as third world and quaint enough that you could still kind of mascot them. You could still kind of um, view them in this kind of third world way that you're being benevolent. Now it's like this person is a legitimate threat. It's not quite the same, but the flip side is that also gives you license. I think to bully them openly as well. Like, so I think, the feeling of having to recon- uh, reconcile or to um, mascot has kind of subsided because it's too dangerous to mascot anymore. Uh, and it's too dangerous to um, help. But also, thanks to that model minority thing and the whole kind of lie of honorary white thing, you can kind of... Because uh, I saw this happening when that Shane... Was it Shane? What's the guy's name? Shane whatever from Shane China. Yeah, Shane Gillis. A lot of people, um, you know, a lot of those like uh, racist online people kept trying to use social justice language to defend like the racism. And like, it's okay because I'm not punching down. And they start putting stats. This was really happening in threads where these um, racist people, like these kind of Legion of Skanks type type guys who are you know, stand up comedy racist trolls. We're putting all these bar graphs and charts about Asian progress. This is actually happening in replies to people calling them out for being racist. And they're trying to do like what they thought was social justice warrior, 12th dimensional chess, where it's like, you guys say punching down is bad. Well, look at this stuff about Asians. I'm a poor white. It's okay. Right, right. Yeah, so I think that's kind of the problem. Black people, I don't think, really register as a threat to them. I think at the end of the day, whether it's even Issa Rae coming from... Yale or somebody coming from Harvard, I think they still kind of think of them as dumb and they're at their benevolence. I don't think they really see these people as a threat. I think the threat that we are is a sexual threat in terms of uh, genetic annihilation, but only the men. That's Mm -hmm. that's right. Right. Yeah. We're not an intellectual threat. We're not a socioeconomic threat. So we're we're fun to mascot. We're fun to do the reconciliation with. Um, but if you notice, everything they put these this stuff in, there's no real place for straight black men. Really, Bridgerton was a surprise in that regard, I think. And I think that's what kept it from really being uh, tumblerable, like as far as gifts. But for the most part, I feel like 
the the men are always gay all the time. There's this new show called Generation they're showing, and as soon as I saw, it, I said that black guy's gonna be queer, and sure enough, um, he was queer. All the Netflix shows too. The black guy is like always gay. Yeah, there, there, uh, there definitely is the uh, analog there. Like Chris, you know that you you sent that tweet where, um, I think like some food writer, Asian woman, like just said like a- Asian male chefs are gentrifying. Oh yeah, Chinatown uh, or something like. I think she's some activist in New York City. Yeah, okay. but she singled out Asian male chefs for gentrifying Chinatowns all over America, and it was like. I can understand if you're accusing Asian chefs of why male chefs. Is it okay if a, if a woman does it? And it's a very gendered way of looking at things. And I think you see that pop up. I did that in response because like T had uh, or T- Trevor had tweeted something about uh, who had sold what channel. Uh, I, I forget what what that was about. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was about. Jay Z selling uh title, and then people were like, Oh, black men always sell everything, you know, black, you know, they don't they, they always sell out their companies to white to white people, and it was Jay Z, black men, the weakest links. And then I responded with with Oprah Winfrey sold own to Discovery, you know, uh, and I gave all these examples. I was like, Carol's daughter in Brooklyn, the natural hair thing, sold to L'Oreal, and of course, nobody responded, uh, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it's it's all it's all an excuse. It's yeah. not really about yeah, exactly. That so. Anyway, teen, you were saying. Oh no! I mean, I was just saying, like, I I just kind of recall like why I even thought of this topic in the first place because like lately, um, like when we started doing uh this pod and and Plan A and stuff, like we did, I think we did focus a lot more on like re- uh representational issues and 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 um, just sort of like trying to put the nail in the coffin on a lot of that. On these things, or or at least uh, un untabooing them, or whatever. But ever since um, with COVID, especially, and this sort of like rapid uh, sort of demonization of China and North Korea, and and sort of like getting back to like Cold War era stuff, you know, like I, I find myself on Twitter mostly joining other like you know parts of what they call China Twitter or whatever, trying to point out how. Like uh, the New York, like how the liberal media lies or obfuscates or biases stuff, and I've noticed that like a lot of like, like, um, like someone like like Andre or someone like these, these sometimes like often like older black guys or older black women or like younger black but like pan African Marxist types, uh, like really will actually like follow me or like my tweets or, or stuff like that. And there's a real discourse still going on now between like China Twitter and like Pan-African Marxists and stuff like this, because they're, they're, they're each focusing on uh, an aspect that is of particular interest to them. But I feel like it's sort of like Asians time to point to figure that out. Whereas a lot of like these Marxists were, were sort of pointing this out earlier. And so now it's like a convergence in that place, but it's like sort of older and more fringe politics. Whereas, uh, you know, with the representational stuff, I'm like, my God, it's, um, uh, it's, I, I sometimes feel like the, the, the arguments that people are having in, um, on black Twitter about it, it's mere, it's just like what was going on with Asians, but it's like, a hundred times more intense. I 
I like think- I've never seen anything mm-hmm. like weakest link type stuff like just said outright. Like I've ne- like they at least try to hide that stuff. I've never seen that. Before.